Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. One of my favorite things to do on Exploring Missions is to interview someone that I've already interviewed. Uh, That really helps because it's an update. It's like doing missions, a church choosing to find a location, a ministry where they return each year and find out what's going on and see the growth and discipleship. That doesn't mean they don't try to have new areas and new avenues, but there's something about sticking with somebody and and watching that ministry grow. Nathan, uh, you and I've done that together when we were on staff at church together and go to a location year after year and seeing these same men and women, uh, and it was amazing to see the growth in them. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a picture of discipleship and and a the you know discipleship. It is not a one time event. Uh, it's not something that happens and then it's over. It's lifelong and it's ongoing. Uh, the spirits work in people's lives, uh, where people you see growth, you see development, and uh, you see Christ likeness coming about. And it's fun to be a part of that. Well, let me see. I think Paul did that. (laughs) He would do his first missionary journey. When it's time to do the second one, he repeated many of those same places and even on the third one to see what was going on. Well, we've talked about it. Now let's introduce the guy that is with us. It's Wes White. Wes, thank you for being with us. It's a joy to be here. I think it's been several years since you've been here, maybe a few years ago, but uh, so things have changed in the world and things have changed, but you're still on mission for God. Absolutely. It's a privilege to get to serve the Lord wherever he wants us to serve. And I like to tell people we all have a calling. Mine just happens to be to Africa. Amen. And you've recently been there. Several times. I've been seven times already this year to Africa. and In 2023? Will, oh, yes. And I'll leave for Rwanda in December the 1st. Okay. We're going to get to some of that in a moment. But uh, we wanted to hear uh, your website. Tell us a little bit about the ministry, and then sure. we'll get the website. Well, I'm, I serve with World Hope Ministries International, and I serve specifically through the Bible Institute, World Hope Bible Institute. Um I've been with them since uh, January of 2021 and uh, have just had a, a great time. World Hope Ministries has a twofold ministry. They, they predominantly work through the Bible Institute, the World Hope Bible Institute, but they also have a benevolent arm called Global Reach where they do projects and teams and, and that type of work as well. But the primary focus is the Bible Institute. Okay. Now, let's go back to when you started. You were pastoring at Smithville Baptist Church. That's right. I had the privilege of being there for 12 years. Wonderful people. I've just got her, and you survived a lot, but one of them was a tornado, right? <laughs> uh, we, we were talking about that earlier, and I just had to bring it up. Uh, man, 
literally hanging on for dear life. Yeah, it was a, it was a neat time, a terrible time. Let me back that up. It was a terrible time. It was a terrible time for our community, but at the same time, we saw God's grace uh, not only in the lives of the people who survived, but also in the way that the Christian community just rallied and supported. Uh, it was a, a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be like. So, um, Wes, as a pastor, or at this point a, a former pastor, um, although you don't ever like quit being a pastor, right? <laughs> there's there's always pastoring to do, pastoral That's care right. that needs to happen. Uh, but um, as a as a calling in a local church to a calling, well, all over the place in Africa, um, how did that come about? How did you go from pastoring a small uh, town? church in northeast mississippi to uh east africa well it's interesting that my journey with missions has been a lot more involved than that i actually first started serving in missions when we were in our 20s and we went to the belize votec and served there for six years with global outreach and then um throughout the years i served on their board i worked in the office was the pastoral care guy and eventually the executive director of global and then transitioned back into pastoral ministry and uh, god blessed us and we were we were just thrilled to be a part of a local congregation especially one as loving as smithville baptist church and uh but there was always that call of God on my heart, actually from the time I was 14 years old, to, uh, to serve the Lord on the foreign field. And, uh, and, and the time was right, and um, so we transitioned in 2021. Uh, just for those that may be listening at Smithville, I had the opportunity to uh, supply, be an interim after Wes left, and and then their present pastor came, so it was a joy. I agree with you. It was a great church. They yeah. put up with me for a few months, so that yeah. was that was really really strong. That's about as long as anybody can put up. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> no, I kind of active. I am. I am. But Wes, right now with your ministry, with what's going on, and uh, what God is doing, what are you seeing, God? Before we get to specifics, what do you see God doing in in? Africa is it different than what he's doing in America? Same like in America, there's a. Uh, it's hard. The churches are struggling in some ways. Some of them are not, but many of them are overcoming COVID. Uh, some of them have overcome it and they're going strong. Some are still uh, trying to find themselves. Uh, did it change Africa any, or are they? It just what's the difference? I would say. Well, that was that's a great question, an insightful question. We didn't talk about it before. What has happened is the Center for World Evangelism has moved to Africa. And there is actually one of the greatest revivals in the world taking place in Africa. The estimates are by 2030, just and that's just a few years away, there will be 300 million evangelical Christians in Africa. Say that number uh, again. I got. I don't have that many zeros, but go ahead. Three hundred million. Okay, I got evangelical you. Christians in Africa. Uh, it is an unbelievable move of God, and it's sweeping the continent and uh, in, in every region of the continent. And we are enjoying a wonderful revival in East Africa, where I serve. Wow. So for numbers like that, which are really hard to comprehend. Um, and I'm sure we want to hear a, 
a few individual stories as we go on. But but for numbers like that to to come about and there to be there has to be multiplication for us to get there where disciples are making disciples who are then going and making disciples and churches are planting churches. Um, but it's got to be, it's, it's locals, it's indigenous people that are doing this, right? It's, it's got to be Africans well, reaching Africans, correct? Certainly. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about our ministry in particular. But absolutely, it is, um, it is Africans reaching Africans. But I'm, I'm just going to give you a caveat and, and say it's the sovereign God at work. Mm. There's no man, whether he's indigenous or not, that can create that kind of a move of God. God has chosen to sovereignly work in Africa, and uh, I'm just thrilled to get to be a part of it. You're alone for the ride. That's right. <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, listen, uh, Henry Blackaby changed so many lives, especially in the Southern Baptist denomination, uh, experiencing God. And what it is, find out where God is working and join him. God's always at work, right? That's right. And we in America, we, we're so, is it tunnel vision that we have? That's one of the things, yes. <laughs> that, that we just focus on, and we think if it's this way in America, it's this way all over the world. And right now, trying to reach people in America by and large, is a lot more difficult it was than when I started. I, I you know, sure. I, we could go door to door. We could knock on doors. We could go to the local uh, water electric department and get names of people who had moved to town, and we'd go knock on those doors and <laughs> welcome them. And they'd say, man, thank you for coming by. It's not that way anymore in America. So for those of us that are Americans, and uh, some of us may have tunnel vision. I try not to. Uh, Bobby Moore, a mentor of mine, said, Bert, one of the greatest things you can do as a pastor is develop a world vision. Not a worldly vision, but a world vision. You know, remember right. Bo- Brother yes, Bobby? Absolutely. Nathan, he changed my life. And uh, he and Nathan has had more in my life to benefit in missions than, than a lot of folks have. They've done well. With that in mind, let's zero in on what the ministry is going on uh, with uh, World Hope Ministries International and what God is doing in your life in, in Africa. Inevitably, when you have such an incredible move of God, um, there are going to be challenges that arise. Um, when the, the <clears throat> evangelism becomes sweeping like that, then what you have is the growth can get ahead of the structure. And that's kind of what we're seeing in Africa. So I'm, I'm going to give you a statistic, and then I'm going to drive it home with some examples. Right now, 85%, 85% of all pastors that are pastoring, that are currently serving, I'm just going to talk about East Africa because that's my area. They have no theological training. They're great guys. They love the Lord, but they have no theological training. And so they're left to try to understand the Word of God without having the resources. They don't have Christian radio. They don't have the resources of books and education and training that we have. And so they're left to try to struggle to understand 
that makes them susceptible to some um, concepts like the neo um, prosperity gospel. Yeah, I is, heard that was pretty. It's sweeping, sweeping through okay. Africa. That's what I'd heard. <clears throat> it is sweeping through Africa, and it is seductive. Because you have people who are struggling financially, and so they get a gospel that says, hey, if you just have enough faith, if you just be good enough, God will give you whatever you want. And then they pop people up on TV, and they're walking around in their in their suits, and they're flashing their dollars, and uh, they're exploiting covetousness <laughs> is all they're really doing. And they look to America. as their resource, you know. And unfortunately, there's a lot of the the prosperity gospel guys that are, whose voice is strong in East Africa, and uh, and it's causing some real problems. They mix that with something called ATR, which is African tribal religion. And so you get this hodgepodge of somebody who is trying to understand the Word of God, probably doesn't have the academic capabilities to understand it sometimes, and then they're getting a a message of the prosperity gospel. They're blending that with their traditional uh, tribal religions, and so you end up with good people who are creating uh, a chaotic situation because they have no ability to rightly divide the word of truth. When I hear that, Nathan, and I want you, you can go ahead, but I couldn't help but think about Apollos and what he was teaching, but they took him aside to correct him. And the way the King James says, and I love this quote, a more excellent way, uh, the right way. And that's that's awesome that there are yeah. people who can help people, but they're susceptible to, to you know, being, I, I guess, being blindsided by their need is so great and they hear that this need can be met through faith and finances, uh, they're susceptible to it. Yeah, and, and you know, that there's a bit that overlaps with here here in the in America in a lot of ways with some of that. But um, can, you, can you tell us, like, one, just tell us basic information that we would like to know about uh, the training of, of pastors that, that you're involved with. And, but how, I'm curious to how, you identify those pastors. Like, do they come to you? Do you go to them? How, how do you identify who needs the training? So far, uh, there's been such a desire. We haven't had to go looking for anyone. <laughs> they've uh, they've kept us they've really busy. They've looked you up. Huh? That's right. Um, let me give you an idea. So we use an instrument, an entrance exit survey. We give it when they first come in at their first class, and we give it when they graduate. We want to get an idea of where they are theologically and then, you know, where they've moved. You know, it's a good assessment for us to know how effective our yes. teaching is, but it's also important to know just where they are. I gave this in Malawi when I was there a week and a half ago. I gave this in Malawi. Eighty-five percent of pastors who are currently serving, a lot of them, the majority of them who have pastor or pastoring churches of 100 or more, 85% of them said that God is not fully human and fully man. They had no idea, mm. no idea about the incarnation. They have no idea about the deity of Christ. Uh, they, and so when you, when, you, when you start foundationally at that point, 
uh, you've got some you've got some real problems. Ninety two percent of respondents said a loving God would never send someone to hell. We've got theological issues that we have to address. And so what we're trying to do, we, we're, we're not looking to replace seminaries. Seminaries are fantastic. They have a great responsibility, and we thank God for them. But their capacity is, is limited. You can only have, especially in African seminaries, because of finances, they're going to have 30 or 40 students. Right. Well, in Malawi, I had 52 in one location, and I had 38 in another, okay? And we... Right now, by the goodness and the grace of God, I have 124 Bible Institute locations throughout East Africa that are running anywhere from 35 to 100. Uh, So I say that simply to say that our capacity is greater, okay? Now, our depth is not going to be what a seminary is. It can't be because there is great value to a seminary. We're not looking to replace seminaries. But it gives them, we we offer 16 theological courses from soteriology to eschatology, and we're going to to give them 16 theological courses that's going to give them a foundation where they can stand and they can rightly divide the word of truth. And our very first two classes we teach is soteriology and hermeneutics. If you don't get those right, (laughs) you're going to be in trouble. So that's the very first two that we teach. When I I hear you say that, I can't help but think about uh, Saul after he was converted. Ananias was waiting on him, and he called him Brother Saul, you know, and, and went through the whole bit, laid hands on him, and... But then, right after that, again he goes and preaches, and but he comes back, and Barnabas is there, mm-hmm. and Barnabas is there to help him. Now he had already been tra- trained at the feet of Gamaliel, which was the, the highest Jewish training you could get. So he wasn't like, you know, starting from scratch. But even Paul, when he was Saul, had to have that first bit of theological and helpful mm-hmm. advice and strength to get him started in the right way, Wes. Yeah, you, you asked me how COVID affected our ministry. I really want to answer that. Prior to COVID, uh, our, our philosophy to a great extent was we would take U.S. pastors who have theological training, we would take them and we would go to these Bible Institute locations and they would teach. They would help us start locations and teach them through and uh, so we were we were using a res- reserve of U.S. pastors. Well, COVID came, and that cut out travel. So American pastors weren't able to do that. But we had always had as our core principle, our philosophy, Second uh, Timothy two two. These things which you have seen and heard amongst from me amongst many witnesses, commit to faithful men who are also able to teach others. And so that was always our core philosophy, but it um, blossomed during COVID. And so what happened was we had to um, work more through the National Indigenous Church. And I'm excited. To, I mean, when I, I told you, I just said just a minute ago that I, that I have the responsibility of 124 Bible Institute locations. I can't teach 124 times. I don't live in Africa. 
I can't, I can't, I'm traveling back and forth. I can't teach the, the, all those times. I would, there isn't enough hours in the day, even right. if I could. So what has happened because of COVID, we realized, man, we really need to lean into what our philosophy mm-hmm. is. And so we began to do that. And I'm thrilled to say right now, over 85% of our Bible Institute locations in East Africa are started and taught by trained and vetted African instructors. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Uh, Going back to as these uh, brothers enter into the training program and they have a baseline that might be, you know, possibly theologically dangerous or just very uh, naive or however you want to say that. Um, You know, there's the challenges of um, the prosperity gospel being uh, so prevalent. Um, but are there some other challenges? Is there anything related to like just basic literacy or um, maybe access to the scriptures in their own languages? Are there other challenges you guys have to work through in training them? It's a great question, and, and you hit on two of our key things that are, are pivotal for our approach. First is we're going to reach people wherever they are. And we're going to we're going to take this to them. Okay? Our goal is not to ask them to come to a city, ask them to relocate. Our training is modular. So we offer it in three or four day sessions uh, and where we'll teach a class and they'll go through sixteen classes, but we come to them. We go where they are. So they can maintain their life. They can keep their farm. They can keep their work. So that's the first key. The second is we don't have any academic limitations. Uh, some places we, we it's completely orality. We we work in the Maasai community that is so rural in northern Kenya, and a lot of those guys we work with orality uh, because there is no formal education that they've received. So we want to make it accessible. We want to make it available, taking it to them at their academic level. And then the third thing is we make it affordable. Uh, we don't ask them to pay for anything. <laughs> we, uh, we underwrite our, our instructors' travel, their lodging, their food. When they go, we underwrite that through World Hope Ministries International. And so all they have to do is simply get their printed materials and then they're on their own. They're they're ready to go. So we make it affordable as well. Well, has I, I know the transition to, uh, you know the the local people training those people. Have you started back taking pastors with you over there from America, or did you say, okay, this is so good, we don't need you, or is or we don't want to mess it up? We don't want to mess it up. <laughs> we don't want to bring you guys in, and mess it up. What's taking well, place? Actually, there? I took I took a pastor with me to Malawi. What I do now, I do two things mainly. I start new locations because I go to a completely brand new field. So you can't exactly have a trained leader if there's nobody there that's been trained yet. <laughs> so I go to brand new fields, start new locations, use U.S. pastors for that. Uh, and then um, <clears throat> the other thing I do is I spend the majority of my time now training instructors. So I, I, we vet them. We make sure that they have the training and education that they need. But I also then come in and give them some teaching skills some i train them in in good technique 
on how to teach, and uh, and I also make sure that they're capable. Uh, Wes, let me back up and just give a real basic question. We've we've been talking about East Africa. Can you give us some of the actual names of the countries where you serve? Um, so we kind of have a, a little bit of an idea of that. Sure, I'd love to. So I serve in Kenya, in Uganda, in Tanzania, in Malawi, in Rwanda, in South Sudan, and in Ethiopia. Awesome. Now let me give you a little harder question. <laughs> um, do you have any idea how many different languages the training is is taught in, or maybe a ballpark number? Well, that's kind of a that's kind of a um, imprecise okay. idea because there there are there is the Bantu language group yes. throughout East Africa, and that is predominantly Swahili. And so Swahili is understood and spoken in uh, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, even in Malawi to a certain extent. And but they're heart languages. So right. so while their their yes. Swahili will be spoken, uh, there are heart languages that it is more effective to speak in their language. So a lot of times, even our national instructors will have an interpreter with them for a heart language. Um, For instance, uh, in Uganda, my my guy that is there, that is a regional coordinator, will teach in Lugandan, but there are multiple heart languages in different areas that he's actually translating in so every time he goes he'll have one I, I when I went with him one time we actually translated it four times <laughs> we had we had myself I was teaching teaching in Lugandan and then we would had two groups in the back where they had interpreters that were speaking to smaller groups that's awesome that's literally Timothy's about teach me and teaching me and teaching me <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right so can I answer that question I, I probably can't I, I can give you some big ideas uh, <clears throat> Uganda Tanzania Kenya Swahili um, South Sudan Dinka and Arabic Ethiopia, Aharmic, and Malawi um, is going to be Chechua, and Rwanda is French. Wow. Okay. Amen, brother. It's exciting. How can people pray for you, and if they want to know more, how can they get in touch? Well, that's great, and thank you. I I wish they would just pray that God would um, move in the lives of these national leaders. Pray that God will continue to keep them safe, our instructors keep them safe. Uh, Some of our countries have some challenges, so keep them safe, that God would provide for them. Uh, For me personally, that that God would continue to give me health. Um, I've got a little gray on the top. (laughs) What's not gray is gone. (laughs) So I just pray that God will continue to give me health and uh, If they'd like to be involved in our ministry to help support the pastors themselves or to, hey, if they'd like to be a part of our ministry, they can can get a hold of uh, someone at WHMI.org. Okay, that is WHMI.org. That's correct. Okay. Nathan, Kenya, you were there. That's recent. That's pretty neat. This year. This year. Yeah. Well, hearing Wes say that he's traveling eight times this year, um, Travel can take a toll. So that prayer for Wes and his health, yeah, yeah, let's take that seriously. 
Yeah. Uh, traveling is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart, for sure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Bert. And may God continue to bless you and bless missions all over the world. Amen.